And now, um, obviously, we're not just at the end of the year, we're at the end of a decade. But um, back at the beginning of 2010, did we have any idea about how different the world would look now as we head into the 20s uh, in, as regards technology and how we live our lives and everything? So we're joined now in studio by Professor Barry O'Sullivan of the School of Computer Science at University College Cork. And he's been looking for us at how technology has been changing everything in our lives over the last 10 years. So Barry, before we get on to Snapchat and Tinder and, and voice activated assistance and all that, just remind us first what, what life was like uh, back in the dark ages at the start of the decade. I'm not sure that, so I'm not sure about that dark. Um, 2010 was the, um, I suppose the big thing that happened in 2010 was the, was the release of the iPad. You know, so um, everybody is probably sporting one of these things now. It wasn't the first of these tablet things, but um, it was probably the one that transformed the world. Um, the, the kind of modern focus on big data, on artificial intelligence, we, on privacy, that was all sort of, uh, that, was, that was all in the future, so to speak. You yeah. Know? Did we have our smartphones at that oh, stage? Oh, yeah, did. Uh, yeah, the iPhone was introduced in, 20, in 2007, I think. So uh, we're about two and a half, three years into the smartphone. So they were certainly picking up. But the whole app world wasn't really uh, developed as much as it is now by a long shot. Okay, were there apps at that stage? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There were. Um, that was the, um, you know, the, the I suppose the, the iPhone was the start of that whole industry. And by, by 2010, there was certainly a very strong industry around that. But um, I suppose we weren't as absorbed in that kind of thing as we are today. Yeah, in in the sense that a lot of us live our daily lives through apps. Oh, absolutely, sense, and that's way. you know we we, uh, we hadn't lost our children into little rectangular boxes at that stage either. You know, so um, yeah, we, we we weren't concerned at that point when the iPad came out. We weren't thinking. Oh no, my I, th- God. I don't think we were. I think we were sort of. We might have been worried about um, what they might see online. You know, so um, would they stumble across stuff that they shouldn't see? But I don't think we had even imagined that you know, kids and even ourselves as adults would be spending so much time on these devices. I think that whole concept of screen time was something that we hadn't even imagined would be an issue. Now, one thing that wouldn't probably be as visible to a lot of us, your area of artificial Mm. intelligence, that has actually been creating seismic change kind of underneath the surface, hasn't it, in the last 10 years? Yeah, of course. Explain a bit to us about that. Yeah, I suppose AI is one of these um, sort of longest longest overnight successes in a sense, you know, so um, it's been around for, you could argue, a couple of hundred years. I suppose the term was invented 70 years ago. but around 2010, 2012, you know, this field called deep learning, this sort of this particular type of method that could um, that we now use for uh, machine translations or translating languages, recognizing images. That was just we were on the cusp of that in 2010. And that was because of the availability of very cheap computing power, but most importantly, a huge amount of data. When we all started using those smart devices, we were creating and sharing lots and lots of data and that enabled that, that whole industry. So I suppose around 2012, what we now call AI, which is really the subfield of machine learning, um, became really prevalent. And is it's, it's AI that in many ways has fed into the changes in how elections happen or can be well, interfered with as well, is it? Yeah, well, you know, I think we give a lot more credit to AI than, it's, than it deserves. You know, I think uh, one thing about the last decade is that you could argue it's the decade of hype in a sense. You okay, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. The, um, you know, um, and AI is certainly one of those very, very hype things, you know, so... Um, uh, I think people attribute abilities to AI that it simply doesn't have, you know, but certainly, um, you know, in that world where there's vast amounts of information being created because we're using, you know, technology in different ways and so on, um, 
you know, it, it does give us an opportunity for doing things smartly in ways that we've never done before. And so um, if people want to call that AI, you know, fine. But let's not, um, certainly the robots are not running over the hills to kill us yet. Uh, yeah, you know? but you think they are, but you're playing it down, I think. <laughs> uh, no, no, The AI community have been told to no, dampen no, no, all yeah. that down. If, if yeah. a robot comes <laughs> over the hill, all you have to do is just wait a little bit. His batteries will run down in about five minutes. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so, okay. Um, taking our you jobs. Do, <laughs> you, you talk about uh, the hype on on the negative side of yeah. things. Was there a hype on the positive side as well in that was 2010, was it, it was more of an optimistic new dawn and we thought technology was going to yeah. change our lives in all kinds of good ways. Yeah, we, we did, I suppose. You know, we saw all sorts of things that uh, we really wanted to happen and they happened, you know. So, um, you know, 2010, we didn't have streaming as we have now, you know, so Spotify, Netflix existed, but you were sending cassettes through the mail, you know. Um, yeah. So the idea of being able to sit at home and choose whatever you wanted to watch, I'm conscious I'm in RTE now and everything. So, uh, um, but the uh, the whole streaming industry didn't exist. Um, you know, lots of aspects of social media and connecting with people didn't exist. Of course, Facebook existed, but, you know, things like Instagram and Snapchat and all that sort of and stuff And do you think it was social media ba- back then, was it viewed more as that this could be a great force for good than we tend to regard it yeah, now? Yeah, I, th- I think it was. I think pe- people liked the fact that they could connect to, to people that they hadn't connected to previously. And what's fun is if you go back and look at very early uh, Facebook posts, how people would actually write posts was very, very different, you know. The way they expressed themselves was totally different. In, in um, what way? Well, so, sort of naively, you know. Um, I'm in the kitchen cooking my dinner was, you know, would, would be things that people would share, you know. So um, I was just looking at Twitter over the over the Christmas and I was surprised, and it's sort of shocking how negative it is, you know. That, that sort of negativity didn't exist in 2010, you know. That's something that's, it's quite a recent phenomenon, you know. So I think we were, it was a much more, um, as you say, optimistic thing. Um, we held high hopes for it. Uh, we didn't see the dangers. You know, we, we weren't concerned about individual privacy as much as we are today. Um, that's become something that we're really, really concerned about. We're really concerned about privacy, elections, as you said earlier. Yeah. Um, so Is anything going to happen around privacy? Is there any sense of, of more regulation coming in around people's well, data and so on? Well, yes, I think there is. Um, the European Commissioner, uh, the new European uh, Commission President, rather, um, Ursula von der Leyen, has said that she's going to introduce a regulation on AI in her first 100 days. Now, I'm not quite sure that's really even technically possible, um, but it certainly signals that she wants to make changes there. So I think in Europe we will see sort of GDPR-like things coming in for AI systems. Driven more by Europe than, than the US. Certainly yeah. driven more by Europe than the US or China. I think uh, in Europe we're very concerned about individual fundamental rights and you know privacy and you know protecting individuals' agency and autonomy much more than other Had anyone thought about this 10 years ago when all this started? um, Actually, no, I don't think they did. Um, And a lot of people will probably tell you, well, certainly, you know, ethics, you know, um, in technology was something that uh, people worked on. But uh, not to the extent that there is today, you know, the... um, the whole AI and data ethics community is a vast community that didn't exist 10 years ago, frankly. Um, like, sure, there were people in philosophy departments and in legal departments and social scientists who were talking about these sorts of things, but the tech, the tech people weren't talking about this at all. The idea that this could have a negative impact on us or children or well-being or mood, yeah. uh, to the extent that you know they do, but um, we didn't actually envisage that, I think, you know, to a large extent. Stephanie, you wanted to come in there? Yeah, I just think it's interesting that sometimes I think when it comes to the end of a decade you start thinking about like this is what we thought 10 years ago but you know you say people are concerned about um, 
their safety online and their protection and yet yeah. they're still bringing I don't know how many people got Alexas for Christmas like yeah. bringing spyware into their home yeah. using their date of birth as their password accepting cookies because they want to read some gossip driven article from the internet like these are ongoing issues that people say hypothetically oh we're really concerned about our privacy online and GDPR well get your spyware out of your <laughs> kitchen so and stop asking yeah, people to play music there, for you there is an element as well though of there is a generation coming through now for whom privacy because life is still simple for them it hasn't become complicated they think I've nothing to hide Pri- privacy is not a huge issue for them is well, it when they young, do polls but young people so I, I, Stephanie's absolutely right you know that, that people do sacrifice their privacy for a very very low cost you know like how many time like how many times have you been on social media where you see something like you know d- discover what muppet you are you know yeah. and you press a button <laughs> and you accept all these terms and conditions where everything about you is basically sort of sucked into the cloud uh, so that you can discover that you're fuzzy bear or something you know like that's not a, that's not a reasonable payment for your data right yeah. but the um, but young people use technology totally differently to adults you know if you look at if you look at your typical you know young person's instagram account you know what you have to find well i'm talking teenagers i'm talking okay. you know sort of uh, you know, say uh, twelve to twelve to university age. You know, you'll often find they've got zero posts at all. You know, they, they share in a story-like manner. They store, they share in a way where things sort of disappear. And that's not, of course, privacy, right? Um, it's an illusion of privacy. Though. Yes, absolutely. So, the, you know, I think they see the world very, very differently to how we do. You know, there's a we've a lot of Chinese students, right, and they find. Uh, London very quaint and low tech because yeah. they are used in China to doing everything on their phones, everything online, yeah, and including being watched by the government Wait, all the time. <laughs> and and yeah. they're not bothered by privacy, no. so they yeah. kind of think, oh, whatever. And they they find it, they think, oh, it's like going back to the nineteen seventies here. I can't do <laughs> everything on my phone, yeah. partly because they culturally or politically, wherever for whatever reason, yeah. Yeah. they're not as concerned about privacy. They, they but, skipped all that uh, via that credit card thing, and their their phone is their metro ticket. It's like it's moving from. Uh, 20 years behind to 20 years ahead of us they are astonished that we don't use our, the technology more but, of course the but there are no privacy concerns whatsoever. but the social scoring system is, is, is well up and running you know this uh, you've all seen the, the Black Mirror episode probably yeah. where you know yeah. you all have a score between this 0 and 9 this is actually up and running in China this is actually happening and it's it's has been developed and has been deployed far ahead of schedule um, which is interesting um, but you know talking about accessing data about, about individuals if you look at Estonia which is probably the most advanced country in Europe um, sit down with any any Estonian person you want to and they will take you through they'll open up in their app all of their personal data which is shared with the government and they'll be able to tell you who accessed it when and what, for what purpose so the idea that you know for example here in Ireland we're very concerned about the you know the public services card you know we don't like the idea of a national identity card generally speaking you know so there's a there's a lot of hoo-ha about it Estonia Estonians don't understand that at all you know because they they grew up with this you know they grew up with a very transparent form of government but it's transparent in both ways so somebody checks your you know, logs in to check your address, you see the fact That's that somebody has logged in. That's a really yeah. big yeah. difference. Yeah. PSC, and yeah. one of the big problems with the PSC is yeah. people Who's weren't sure what departments were getting access yeah. to what. And yeah. Elaine Edwards did a lot of work on that, that, yeah. hang on, how come the Department of Transport are seeing what car I drive, etc. Exactly. Yeah. One of, I think, the most problematic parts of it is that we're now not, uh, like, it's come to a point where, sorry, um, you can't kind of come to an agreement. Did you actually look at your she phone while you were speaking? I looked at my on, phone on the there because I was the trying to make... I'm, I'm, I'm really hyped up about this, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, these arguments happen um, where you can't actually 
have discussions like this and talk about what you're seeing online because what we're seeing online is so different. The Google results that come up for me are different to what come up for oh, yeah. you, Brendan, mm-hmm. what come up for you, Sinead, mm-hmm. because we've been in a decade of this feedback loop of surveillance and being surveilled and giving them information about you so that it's so tailored. The news and the information that you see is so tailored. Like I got So there Christmas is no presents. collective anymore. There's in no a collective. Sense. I got okay. Christmas presents this year that were targeted at me based on like I, sent to my friends and my boyfriend of what I would like yeah. and on his Instagram. Yeah, I opened up a Facebook account yeah. for the Camogie Association and they were, you know, the, what was your date of birth? 1904, it was very easy. I started getting ads for incontinence pads. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And it stops any sort of discussion in a group. Sinead, how, how has technology impacted most in your life in the last 10 years, do you think? Um, well, Probably mostly my job yeah. um, in that 10 years ago, the journal.e didn't exist. Well, we set up in, at the end of, of 2010. Um, and so, you know, we have half a million readers a day now. So that that has changed the lives of um, a, a lot of people in Ireland. Um, I think then outside of obviously work things, I think probably um, the streaming services is the one thing that you'd say mm. affects your life on a more than daily basis from... Um, how you listen to music to podcasting is a huge part of you yeah. know my my daily life, yeah. my daily routine, my commute, um, and Netflix. Like, how would we have predicted in 2010 that we would watch television in the ways mm. we watch television now? That we might binge watch six hours of a full series like at 2 a.m. Yeah, I wonder. <laughs> I wonder equally, will we keep doing that? I you know, I wonder is that a moment? And I, I wouldn't. I'm not going to buy shares in Netflix right now, I would have to say. I wonder, are we at peak Netflix? People starting to say, yeah, I'm wasting a lot of time watching. There's a lot of great stuff on there and people saying, I ended up watching six, eight episodes of something and it, it was okay. It's, That's what a lot of people say about a lot of things in Netflix. Yeah, it was okay. Yeah, the personalization point is very, very interesting because I think um, people, I think maybe three, four years ago, they enjoyed personalization. You know, they enjoyed the fact that, you know, you're what was served up to you was something that uh, you would like. But I think, you know, a couple of years ago, maybe one or two years ago, we started getting very creeped out by that. And I think mm-hmm. now we really understand that we're all living in these in sort of individual filter bubbles, Not well, maybe not individualized entirely, mm-hmm. but we're, we're sort of shacked up with people who've got similar views and we don't see the world beyond that boundary. And then when we're forced to see it, it's quite a alarming shock. and it's a arresting and it's yeah. not something And we don't see the person Alison. behind it. No, we don't see the person. And I think that's a huge problem. I mean, I remember walking with a very vulnerable man to see his GP and the woman behind the desk, she never looked at him, she never looked at me, she was looking at the computer. And if there's a mistake, the computer is always blamed, but somebody has to feed the information into the computer. And I think also people out socialising, I mean, if you go out and you're sitting in a pub and you're sitting beside somebody the next thing somebody takes photo you're having an affair or something you know this <laughs> or a young person having a drink and they go to get insurance even though the pint in their hand mightn't be theirs and I think people need people and I think an awful lot of young people who are very um, sad uh, I mean, you can't give a hug to somebody on the on the phone, but you can have an artificial friend who's meaningless. And I think this mm. type of debate is very necessary. Well, so so uh, th- what you're saying, Alice, is that we're all more connected than we ever were before. But yet we're more disconnected actually, yeah, as yeah. human beings. And, you know, to yeah, express yeah. yourself, to show if you're sad or excited. And I think, and I'm not a psychologist, and you don't need to be a psychologist, I think, to know that. And even to, when I get on the bus in the morning, all these lovely young people, but they're all on their phone 
And um, there's something sad about it, I think. Yes, I love technology. I use my phone. I follow the journal on my iPad. <laughs> I'm not on, on Twitter. I'm not on Facebook. And I've no intention stay of going off. on it. Yeah, but I off. think we really, I think questions need to be asked. I d- stay I d- off it. Do you regret going on social media yeah, and getting absolutely. involved with it, Stephanie? Like in this decade, yeah. so I've started and deleted my Facebook. Yeah. yeah, no, it's terrible for your mental health. Every time yeah, I go online, is. I feel terrible about myself because yeah. I'm comparing myself to other people or comparing yeah. myself to my old self or someone yeah. on Twitter like even now that I'm yeah. sitting here I've looked at my phone and there are people complaining on Twitter about something that I've said earlier on and oh, that'll give no. me a worry why are you doing that to yourself you're nodding along there about social media well I think what Alice said is I heard an interview with the guy who said he got a 200 um wishes on his birthday on Facebook. And he said, well, that's great. So I wouldn't have heard from 180 of them, except of the 20 people who would have called him before, most of them felt they'd done their duty by saying happy birthday on Facebook. So his net real connection, because he didn't get any calls, dropped. And I thought that is a... Yeah. It, 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 social media can advertise itself as an addition to your connectivity, but actually it ends up replacing more valuable forms of connection. What is What technologically has changed your life most in the last 10 years? Or well, I remember someone telling me about an iPad and saying, but why would you want one? Because I have the internet on my computer and now I have, I'm, I'm watching, I'm listening to Journal of yeah. IE, but I'm also <laughs> Netflix, all these things. And okay. to a degree that I don't feel I want to. Yeah. I, I think there is a way that we can look at it positively. Like Alice, I think before we weren't all talking to each other on the bus before, you know, people had <laughs> newspapers mm. or they they read books and mm. you were able to choose. So we can choose our our internet life a bit better. And I think that we will eventually okay. start doing so that. We, I think you know what I think is positive. wonderful about that is that is that the two, the two millennial people here ended up sounding like cranky old boomers. <laughs> <laughs> and so this is all going to end badly. So I think, Alice, I think you I think you won everyone around in the end. <laughs> okay, that's all we have time for today.